Today, we are wrapping up our series called Trending. And over the past couple of weeks, we have discussed very trending topics. With the, uh, gosh, four weeks ago, we talked about uh, social media and how social media, it can be a good thing. I believe it can be a good thing. That's why I have social media. That's why I'm on social media. But I believe there's also some danger in this that social media can be a bad thing. We talked about this imagery of a foothold becoming a stronghold. And then to recap, the next week we talked about politics. And remember, our citizenship is in heaven and not of this earth. And because of that, there's implications on how we deal with government, how we deal with government, governing authorities like presidents, mayors, teachers, you name it. And then last week, Mandy, Tyler, Kelly, and Anaya knocked it out of the park with our conversation over suicide and mental wellness. And I'll, I'll share this tad bit a little bit. As I was sitting here, and we had a 30-minute countdown, and it was about probably 20 minutes into it that everybody was done sharing their story. I was like, uh, we're going to go over time because this is too good. Dude, y'all tell them thank you for being vulnerable and sharing with them. Yeah. So, today, we're ending this, and if I could be honest and transparent, as a white male, the most difficult conversation for me to teach on in this series, and we'll be talking about racism. See, here's why it's difficult. I've never been the victim of racism. When we went and protest us as a church uh, on the square, that was the first time I've ever been to a protest. That's the first time I've ever had to protest anything. I've never experienced racial slurs towards me. I've never been devalued by someone because of the color of my skin. I've never experienced that. So that's why it's hard for me. But at the end of the day, dude, I think truth lies in Scripture. That life is found in Scripture. See, but you don't have to look too far in any media outlet, whether that is social media, whether that's the news, a debate happening last night. Wherever it is, we see racism is a very prevalent thing in our society. See, and let me be honest real quick. If I could be transparent with you guys, racism is not a white and black thing. Racism is not an Asian thing, a Middle Eastern thing, an Island Pacific thing. Island, or racism is a sin problem. Racism is a sin problem. It affects a lot of different people. We see it affecting people in our country today. See, here's the thing about racism. God hates racism. Here's why God hates racism. Because God hates sin. God hates anything that takes his children away from him. God hates evil. He hates sin. He hates wickedness. Scripture uh, lists this all throughout the Bible. And just as much as God hates sin, God will also punish sin. See, we see that physically play out with the people of Israel. If you read any of the Old Testament, you see that with the nation of Israel. But we see all that wrath, all that anger, all that frustration be poured out onto one person, and that is Jesus. 
All this hatred of sin, all this hatred of racism, all this hatred of idolatry, of pornography, of sexual immorality, of selfishness, of pride and greed was poured out, not on us. See, Jesus became an object of wrath so we can become an object of grace. And see, the thing about this grace that God offers, it transforms everything about us. And I would argue for some of us sitting in this room, if you say, man, I have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't look any different than your former self, I would argue you've never experienced grace before. See, when we experience grace, the way we view people changes. See, Genesis 1, at the very beginning of our Bibles, if you have your Bibles, flip over to it. But Genesis chapter 1, and he's talking about man and woman right here. In verse 27, so it's, it says, so God created human beings, and I believe it will be up on the screen, Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. It does not say in the Bible God created white people in his image. It does not say God created black people in his image. It says God created every single one of us sitting in this room, every single person that we will ever encounter in his image. But here's the thing, church. We all know that we're made in the image of God. That's truth. I mean, if you went through the Bible, that's at the very beginning of your Bible. We can get that far, right? But not everybody lives as a child of God. See, everybody is a reflection of the physical nature of God. Everyone is made in the image of God. And I remember having a conversation with a guy named Cameron Friend. We went up to Buckhead and we had lunch. And me and a couple other people were having a conversation with him. And it was right um, a couple years ago. And we asked, like, dude, like, do we, not, do we need to say, man, I don't see color? He goes, no, Tucker, because God made me black for the glory of him. God made you white for the glory of him. God created you in his image, how you are, how you look, how you are set in your physical nature for the glory of God. Every single one of us, white, black, Hispanic, Latino, has been made in the image of God. Again, but not everybody is in this relationship with God. And I would say, I would say this, people who claim to be Christians, yes, they're made in the image of God, but they have, they believe in the sin of racism. I would believe that the image of God is living apart from God in that moment. The image of God is living apart from God. See, what racism truly is, it's saying, I am better than you because of how I look. I am better, I am superior, I have more value, I am worth more because of the color of my skin. See, and when people do that, the image of God is living in separation from God. And if I were to give just a simple definition of racism, it's this, devaluing the image of God through exalting myself. Devaluing the image of God through exalting myself. And what do I mean by that? It means I devalue somebody who's been made in the image of God because I think I am better than them. But Genesis 1, 27 says, human 
beings. White, black, male, female have been made in the image of God. But if we actually look at the, um, at the sin of racism, racism isn't something that's new. In fact, if we actually look at American history, America is a very young country. America is only 400 and some odd years old. America is young. But even through our young history as a nation, racism has been splattered all in it. But the sin of racism can be traced back thousands and thousands of years before Jesus even was on this earth. And this first sin of racism, this first act of a nation believing they are superior based on their race, based on their skin color, based on who they are, is found when the Egyptians enslaved the nation of Israel. And if you, again, if you study Old Testament, the nation of Israel is God's holy people. If you were to mess with any of these people, that's the wrong people to mess with, right? Like Scripture says, God chose these people and set them apart. So, and I know when we read the Bible sometimes, especially when we see um, in the letters like Paul writes, we see, slave, obey your masters. And I want to clear up that language real quick. When we see this, especially in the New Testament, that word slave more uh, uh, more is defined as an indentured servant. And any of you who've taken U.S. history or Georgia history know that an indentured ser servant is someone who owes someone else a debt, but they can't pay it off financially, so what they decide to do is to work to pay off their debt. I just went back to eighth grade and Miss Spears class right there for you guys. Man, I studied hard for this message. Some of you are like, I'm not there yet. Don't worry. You probably already passed it. Um, but the Bible talks about slavery. God's people were enslaved. That's the whole reason Moses was brought up. Moses was not the guy who split the Red Sea. Moses was the person who went to Pharaoh and said, free God's people. The Bible teaches specifically on slavery and on racism. And when I mean the Bible talks about it, dude, Jesus taught on it. See, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read, read through this, but I'm going to stop and start again. So you all just bear with me. So this is Luke chapter 10, verses, uh, starting in verse 25. So one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit life? This dude has already messed up. He, Scripture says he is an expert. So this guy already uh, has a pious attitude. He's like, dude, I'm so smart. I study Scripture. I do this for my job. I do this for my life. Like, I know the Old Covenant. I know the Old Testament. Heck, I can even quote Scripture. And he says, dude, I'm going to test Jesus. Any of you in this room, don't do that. That's not a good idea because you'll see why right here. So Jesus said, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And here's something very important right here. In this scripture right here, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? Why is that significant right there? That is significant because Jesus is teaching to this religious expert in a relatable way. Jesus is meeting this dude where he's at. Jesus is relatably teaching to the student. And we can see this played out more in the story. 
So what is the law of Moses saying? Why is that relatable? Because he's a religious expert. He knows the law of Moses. He knows the Abrahamic covenant. He knows the Mosaic covenant. He knows the covenant of Joseph of the nation of Israel. He knows these things. And this dude says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, right. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus. And dude, let's just stop right there. So often, we want to justify ourselves. Oh, you, you don't know, Tucker, like, this group of people has treated me wrong in junior high. There's actually division at my school, so that's why I say the things that I do. Dude, Jesus says, you know what you got to do? Love your neighbor yourself. Don't justify yourself. Call your sin out. Because that's what Jesus is doing. That's what the Holy Spirit, what he is doing, what scripture does in our life. He asked, who is my neighbor, the religious expert to Jesus? And Jesus was like, okay, let's get, let's get to this. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, so that's important again. A Jewish man is relatable to this religious expert because the religious expert was more than likely a Jew. So Jesus is saying, hey, put yourself in this situation, essentially. Put yourself as the Jewish man. So a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, a pastor, a life group leader, a friend came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So a priest, a church person, sees a fellow Jew beaten, hurting, in pain, in a sense being lost from him, and decides to walk on the other side of the street. And then verse 32, a temple assistant walked over. So again, a church person. I would say this is more like a life group leader, someone who plays a volunteer role in the church, someone who is, has a very significant leadership role. A pastor passed by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him. Dude, that's, the, that's an awful thing right there. This temple assistant not only like, went on the other side of the road, he went up and looked at him. Lying there, this temple assistant came up to the scene, looked at what was going on, and did nothing. But he also passed by on the other side. Then, say that, what's a, what's a Samaritan described as? Then a what Samaritan? Despised Samaritan. Some of you are like, why is he despised? Here's the thing. When the nation of Israel reached the promised land, and you read this in the Old Testament, Joshua leads them into that. When they reach the promised land, after some time, the nation of Israel actually divides into two nations, the nation of Israel and the tribe of Judah. And what happens with the tribe of Judah, they're the southern kingdom, Israel is the northern kingdom. Judah actually has these other influential countries come into it and start to influence their worship, to influence their culture. So that would be essentially saying, hey, Canada is Israel, 
not saying Canada's perfect, and America's Judah, but Mexico's also going to influence, Latin America's going to influence American culture, how they worship. So this is happening in the tribe of Judah. Again, part of God's chosen people. And they start to intermarry with other nations. And they, the, Samaritan, the Samaritan race is born by this mixed people group. The Jews, who were God's people, who saw God do miraculous things, free them from Egypt, split the Red Sea, now hate their southern kingdom, their sister kingdom, because a new race is being born out of them. That's why they're despised. Jews hate Samaritans. Jews are racist towards Samaritans. Samaritans hate Jews. And Samaritans are racist towards Jews. So that's why he's despised. But this despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. If you have your Bibles, if you have a physical Bible, if you have a Bible app or whatever, circle that word compassion. Compassion is walking through pain with somebody. Compassion is taking on someone else's pain, someone else's hurt, walking through a difficult situation, walking through a painful situation. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, bandaged them. Then he put the monkey, or I saw monkey and donkey right there. We had monkey in that game. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you. The next time. Here you go, guys. Listen. So here's the thing about this. The Samaritan not only heals the wounds, he takes care of the dude after it. He not only puts a bandage on it, he loves the guy after he's gone. So Jesus asked this dude, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. See, he couldn't even say Samaritan. Then Jesus says, yeah, now go and do the same thing. Do the, do the same. He's telling this Jewish man to have a love like the Samaritan, a despised Samaritan who has faced prejudice, who has faced racism from the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, to have that same love to his neighbor. And when you look at the Greek word of neighbor, it does not mean your cul-de-sac. It does not mean your neighborhood. The Greek word for neighbor means anyone who is near you. Guess what, church? We're neighbors right now. This is a weird-looking neighborhood. We are neighbors. We are near to each other. We are in proximity to each other. Relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. We are near one another. So Jesus says, go do the same thing. You go do the same thing. And that's kind of a bold challenge from this Jew, to this Jew, right? It's like, Jesus, why are you telling me to do this? And some of you are probably, sit, probably sitting here right now 
probably thinking, God, why are you telling me to love these people who are different than me, who look different than me, who have a different culture? It's because here's the truth, church. And church, I hope you understand this right here. Is Jesus levels the playing field for everybody. See, Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians. He writes exactly what the cross of Jesus has done. See, again, we go back to the thought at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 27, that human beings are made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. But here's the spiritual implications to this. Here's what Jesus has done. And this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And he says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. And this Gentile is people who are outside the Jewish faith. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Remember, the image of God when believing in racism is living apart from God. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. And let's just hang out right there. That Don't expect people who don't know who Jesus is to act like Jesus. We can say, hey, man, I know who Jesus is. But there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus goes and he actually hangs out with this, um, this, these two sisters, Mary and Martha. See, Martha, she's the, she's the go-getter, right? She's the one who's cleaning the house, preparing, making sure everything's right for Jesus. And Mary is actually doing nothing. And Martha actually gets kind of ticked. It's like, dude, Mary, why don't you hold up your end of the deal? It's Jesus. Like, he's at our house, right? Like, Jesus is coming to hang out with us. But Mary was sitting in the presence of God. She was, Scripture says, sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, here's the thing, church. We know truth. For those of us in Christ, we know the gospel, we understand the gospel, but we also have to understand that there's people who don't know that and that there should be grace for them, that we should ex uh, extend grace to them. Continuing, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Individually, for those of us who are surrendering to Jesus, who are entering into this relationship with Christ, we are brought near to Christ. We are actually united with Christ. See, now we're not only the image of God, we're a child of God. But then Paul gets very specific to, this, to these people he's writing. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And we're like, dude, we can get behind that. Yeah, there's peace in this world, right? He united Jews and Gentiles. Again, two different groups that despised one another, that were prejudiced towards one another, that had division towards one another, who were racist towards one another. Paul says, dude, Christ has brought them together into one people. In his own body on the cross, he brought, broke down the walls of hostility. 
And these walls are a thing like systematic racism, social racism, individual racism. Jesus, the cross, knocks those things down because we experienced grace. We, we knew that we were once dead, but now we are alive in Christ. And because of that, everything changes, including how we view people. In his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. It's only Jesus who can do this, church. He did this by ending the system of law. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, verse 16, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Dude, that is what Jesus can do in our culture, in our world, in our society today. See, Jesus put death to death. Jesus put racism to death. Jesus put sexual addiction to death. Jesus put sin to death because he defeated it. Now, I'm not saying people aren't going to be racist. There's not going to be sin. I'm not going to say that because we're all broken people, desperately in need for Jesus. But what I am saying is, man, if we lived in unity with Christ, we would have unity with each other. If we lived in the oneness with Jesus, we would be one with one another. And can I tell you this real quick? Heaven's not going to be all white people. Heaven's not going to be all black people. You want to know what heaven look, is going to look like? Revelation 7, 9. And this, dude, this is a glimpse into heaven. I hope this excites you. I hope this brings excitement to you. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this, again, this is John who is writing Revelation. This is a vision he has seen. He said, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, and every people, every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, held palm branches in their hands, which was a sign that we respect you, we uh, know you are a king. Heaven is going to be white people, it's going to be black people, it's going to be Hispanic people, it's going to be Asian people, it's going to be South American people coming together as one people, one tribe, one family, worshiping the Father. That is what heaven is going to look like. Man, if you are not excited about that, I think we need to have a conversation. We need to check some things. Because I, I have a sponsor kid down in Nicaragua. His name's Noe. I met Noe my first time going to Nicaragua. I, I, it was very awkward for me because I actually, at the end of it, got the opportunity to share the gospel with um, this group of children we've been hanging out with all week. But I was, do, I was doing it as a gringo, and I couldn't speak a lick of Spanish. And I had this translator, and I've never had a translator before, so it was a little awkward. But in a way, through our relationship, through our friendship, through our sponsorship, I firmly believe he knows who Jesus is. And I can see it because, dude, he was on a path to drop out of high school, and now he's in college for, mechanic, for mechanics. 
I know I'm going to see that brother in heaven one day. And dude, that excites me. We may be able to talk actually face-to-face in the same language for the first time ever. But, dude, that excites me. So what now? Like, what's the importance of all that? Sure, we have a glimpse into heaven. But what now? I want, I want you guys to understand two things. The overarching thing is Scripture undermines racism. Scripture does not support it. Scripture does not back it up. Scripture says God hates racism. And I have a couple points under that that I want to show you guys. The first one is for us to remember that everybody is made in the image of God. Everybody. All human beings. And then two, the cross unites us. The cross unites us. And there's, there's this prayer that a lot of us say a lot of times. And it's the Lord's Prayer, right? We find this in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And this is Jesus. He's, he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to a vast crowd. Uh, this is his most famous sermon. And so Jesus says, pray like this. At the very beginning, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done as it is in heaven. Let it be as it is in heaven. And that is every tribe, every race, every person, every language coming together through the marvelous work of the cross, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is a king. And because of that, we're going to love each other the same way Jesus loved us. Dude, let's bring heaven to this place. We have a broken world that needs hope. We have hatred. Dude, let's bring heaven into this place by loving each other just as we love ourselves. Love our black brothers and sisters in Christ. Love our white brothers and sisters in Christ. Love our Latino brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus loved them and because we are called to that. Tear down any walls that stop us from loving our neighbors. One of the ways we can do that is through prayer. And what we're actually going to do as a uh, life group together in your circles is each one of, the, each one of you should have got this on your chair. If not, um, ask for somebody's copy around you. But this is what you're going to do these next 10 minutes together is you're going to pray for these things. Shh, up here, up here. We're going to pray for justice because God says there will be justice. We're going to pray that evil is punished because evil needs to be eradicated. We're going to pray for compassion, for us to walk through Someone who is hurting, someone who's experienced racism. I know when the George Floyd incident happened, I reached out to a friend of mine. Is like, dude, can you tell me what's going on through your head and your heart right now? Let me understand. Prayer for wisdom. Pray for intentional ways that you can tear down walls, that you can love people well. 
and pray for peace. And then lastly, pray for us to know that Jesus is our only hope. There, I, I promise you, if the church prayed these five things when it comes to racism, when it comes to sin, dude, the world would look a much different place. That's why we, each gave, why we gave each one of you this. So you can take it home. So you can pray for these things. Put it on your mirror, put it in your room, whatever it is. But now, these next few minutes together, we're going to spend these in prayer with our life group.